The FT. When pitching for private equity, preparation is key. Systematic, methodical preparation. That's why we created Mishcon Invest. It helps clients develop robust pitch strategies. If we can't identify any weak points, nor will anyone else. Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the latest podcast in the Financial Times' Deals and Dealmaker series. I'm Anusha Sakui, the FT's Mergers and Acquisitions Correspondent. Ever since 2007, when credit markets froze, followed by the banking crisis of 2008 that shook the world economy, deal-making by companies has been stymied. A common refrain among deal-makers about the slump in activity and the absence of large-scale bids is that with such uncertain global outlook, companies find it hard to bet the farm or take risks on M&A. Many firms have, as a result, taken cover. But there is one industry where simply hunkering down will not do, and that is the fast-moving world of communications and technology. The past two years has seen telecoms, media and technology companies provide some of the most fascinating and challenging deal-making. One of the biggest stories of the year was the IPO of Facebook, which broke records. However, its aftermarket performance has disappointed. I travelled to San Francisco recently to speak with Anthony Armstrong, co-head of America's M&A at Credit Suisse. I began by asking him how the Facebook IPO fallout has affected the way other tech companies approach deal-making. Well, look, I think there's a, I think that there's a couple of things that have come out from it. I think the first thing is just a reassessment of IPO execution. I think companies want to make sure that they're getting good traditional solid IPO execution. I think there's been a renewed focus on that front. I think the second thing that has happened is boards have started to look at it and question whether or not the company that they're looking after should be a public company. Uh, It's not for everybody. We've seen a number of companies that have gone public this year that have taken pretty hard hits when they haven't performed as the street expected them to. So once again, it's it's not for everyone. I think the more pronounced effect, though, is on M&A, because as boards start to look at their exit options, they realize that if you're going to go public, you have to have a successful IPO, and you have to stay out there, and you have to be successful, and you have to be successful for an extended period of time. And if you're unable to get out there, successfully and be successful for an extended period of time, you're not going to be able to get the ideal exit strategy. So reevaluating whether or not that makes sense versus selling your company in a traditional M&A trade, we think is something that's getting renewed focus. And we know through our conversations that boards are reevaluating much more carefully whether or not they go public or, or sell themselves. How have companies here in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley changed in their approach to deal-making as they've become more established and uh, the disruptors have become the disrupted? That's exactly it. The disruptors are afraid of becoming the disrupted. And what's interesting with this generation of large tech companies is so many of them started as disruptive technologies themselves, so that they perhaps have grown up with a certain level of paranoia. And I think after the better part of a decade of some complacency, you're starting to see new disruptive technologies emerge and and the large players are understanding how quickly these disruptive technologies can catch up with them and they are prepared to spend money today for businesses that have very little, if any, revenue to make sure that both defensively and offensively they own those enterprises. So we are absolutely seeing people put aside the more traditional valuation metrics and saying, do we strategically need to own these assets? I think you're also seeing additional shifts where people are understanding that being nimble is critical, uh, looking at their infrastructure, wanting to make sure that they're not asset heavy. 
So a little bit more of a traditional focus on M&A as well, where you unload parts of your business that are perhaps weighing you down and slowing you down, putting yourself in a position to, to move to where the world is going. To discuss the drivers for ongoing deal-making, I'm joined by Jonathan Stankler, Head of European Technology M&A at KPMG. It's uh, obviously a very tough market for deal-making generally. Can you tell me a bit about uh, how difficult it is in technology? Yeah, there's no doubt that it is extremely difficult. Deals are taking a lot longer to do. There's a lot more challenged uh, in the nature of the deals, but I think that if there's a sort of ray of, uh, of light, it's really about those companies that are disruptive, smaller businesses that are really innovative, that are must-haves in the eyes of the larger, more established businesses, companies that they have to acquire, really, to remain relevant, competitive, flexible, etc. And I think in the deal environment, that's where we're seeing a lot of activity and, and indeed sort of premium pricing applying to that where otherwise it's quite difficult are there particular areas that that you're seeing that yeah there's you know big data mobile cloud focus on social media Uh, those kind of areas are absolutely resonating with corporates and the sort of level of m&a activity that we're seeing at the moment have you seen any interesting examples? We were involved on um, a transaction whereby Amazon bought a very small company called Push Button, which is a highly innovative, high-tech business that was absolutely fundamental to the strategy of, of Amazon, and it needed that business going forward. And so we're seeing some good activity in that kind of area, for sure. And how far are you know the large incumbent technology companies willing to go in terms of pricing and valuation of these startups that they need to buy? providing it makes strategic sense for them to make those acquisitions uh, and we're talking about smaller businesses now um, often you know without business plans but really have proper disruptive technology uh, you know there's no question that if it's the right fit they will pay significant multiples relative to what would normally be expected for sort of MA tech transactions and um, so yes there's a really healthy environment in that area where otherwise there's uh, it's, it's, it's a bit sort of dour. In terms of larger scale M&A, we've seen big chunky deals from, uh, for example, SAP in mm. Germany that bought uh, Reba earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that space, do you see more deals coming next year? It's always difficult to sort of crystal ball gaze. I do think that uh, depending on which particular technology vertical, there'll be further consolidation and that will be quite sizable. I think we're seeing evidence that, um, you know, companies getting together, scaling up, taking advantage of that is the way they need to fight in a global market. For example, reference to Cisco's acquisition of NDS um, is a good one where NDS offers great security solutions, which is highly relevant in the technology market, particularly as it's developed the way that it is therefore yeah, it, it was important for Cisco to do that one of the most fascinating trends is something called convergence mm-hmm. uh, that bankers tell me that there'll be more deal making in can you tell us a bit about that it's a sort of if you like a buzzword that's been around for many years I've been in investment banking for 20 years and, and everybody's talked about you know the advent of convergence dare I say that it, we actually might be seeing it happen <laughs> um, it's uh, you know you sort of you now no longer there's a sort of blurred boundary between what a telco is media business or or technology um, reference, for example, BT um, getting very much involved in BT Vision and and, and buying up uh, sports rights, etc. You know, fast becoming you know highly focused on media. Uh, seeing many technology businesses uh, again really intrinsically beca- becoming close to uh, to telco. I mean, you know, you take. Um, 
the, the iPhone 5, for example, uh, what is it? Is it a telco? Is it a phone? You know, is it is a sort of piece of great technology? Or is indeed, is it sort of a, an interactive media player? It's all three, actually. And I think that's the way that we're going to see convergence happen amongst the mainstay players. So I think the boundaries are slowly sort of blurring, and I think it's actually going to happen. How might we see that translate to deal-making? Again, I think there'll be a degree of, of consolidation that will make sense for certain media businesses, certainly in the digital media space, to say, well, hang on a sec, let's look at the technology that's there to enable us to do what we need to do. I mean, some while ago, there was um, Sky's acquisition of Amstrad, for example, sort of an in-house acquisition, really, but to give them the actual technology capability to deliver their product. And I think that, on a wider scale, is, is going to happen more frequently. Thanks, Jonathan, for joining me today. Great pleasure. That gives us a lot to think about, but there is more if you want to read it on ft.com forward slash dealmakers. Thank you for listening and goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.